Hey, it's Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do the things that inspire them, and welcome to the iHemp Revolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profits. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? My guest today is Tom McLean. Tom McLean is the president of Hemp Logistics and a hemp activist. His company markets and distributes hemp products. He is a big believer in hemp and supports the complete liberation of industrial hemp by having it removed from the Schedule 1 list of Controlled Substance Act. Now, he graduated from Fort Hayes State University in Hayes, Kansas. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Biology, Psychology, and a Master's in Business Education from Tribuvan University in Kathmandu, Nepal. Tom once raised in rural Kansas, and his family grew hemp until the 1930s. His interest is in helping local farmers have access to quality seeds to grow industrial hemp, as well as other agricultural crops in a sustainable, organic way. He's helping to develop industrial production for both hemp and other natural fibers. Tom has worked in Jamaica, Costa Rica, Mexico, Thailand, India, and Nepal. He has traveled extensively through Asia and Central America, working in local economic development. Tom believes hemp is an integral part of a sustainable economy for the U.S. and developing nations, and that hemp is the best suited crop for soil remediation here in the United States. So, Tom, <laughs> welcome to the iHemp Revolution. Thank you, Coach Freddie. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Appreciate the opportunity to get to uh, espouse my love for hemp and what it can do for all of us. Okay, well, so Tom, can you give us a little bit more background on yourself and how you got started in hemp and just why industrial hemp? Sure. I uh, grew up in uh, rural Kansas, uh, started out uh, as, as a child on the farm, and we still had the remnants of hemp that had been grown back by my great-grandfather from the 30s that uh, we were highly forbidden to ever play in. So, of course, as a child, that was the first place when you had the opportunity to go. And we found that that's where all the rabbits and the deer and pheasant and all the animals tended to conjugate. So for us, too, it was an exciting place to go hang out, especially since it was not allowed. And um, we, uh, we had an appreciation for the plant, really, from a, from a kid, Partly just that it was cool and um, and exciting because we knew that you know it was illegal for reasons we didn't understand back then. But um, so that was where it started for me was uh, on the farm and uh, the importance of being raised in a rural setting and understanding of the importance of agriculture in everybody's life. So I've always had a real strong appreciation for that. And that's uh, really what brought me here today. You know, what took you to Nepal and what was your experience there? I, uh, I joined the Peace Corps in uh, 1989, um, just out of a, uh, 
kind of a frustration with where my life was heading at the time. I decided that uh, I was preparing to go to medical school, actually, and had become frustrated with that process and uh, decided uh, instead to join the Peace Corps and uh, got Nepal as the country of selection for me, uh, which um, really at that time I didn't know very much about Nepal other than that's where Mount Everest was. Outside of that, I really had very little understanding of that country. But fortunately, uh, went there, had the opportunity to live um, very remotely, uh, deep into the Himals, into the Mid-Hill region of what's called the Rapti region. Uh, that's the river that flows through that area. And got to live with people that were still very, very connected with our earth. Um, they all grew organically because that was the only methodology available to them, fortunately, for their own benefit. So I got a better understanding uh, by the, the two and a half years I lived there of uh, what it was to have community, uh, also to grow organically, um, and just uh, in general what, of course, their term ganja for him was. Because going there, I really didn't have a very good understanding of what the plant was and how important it could be in a culture and in the sustenance of a community. Uh, so I learned all the important aspects that they used it for from the fiber. Uh, they used it, of course, to make rope, cordage, which uh, was very important uh, there. All of the local rope was made from hemp. They, they wove it, of course, into fabric. They ate it, and they fed it to their animals. Uh, they used it, of course, medicinally, and they used it as sacrament in worship. Hmm. So they have a great reverence for ganja, and they look at it as a direct gift from God, and that's how they deal with it, as a gift, not as an economic uh, construct. Hemp is given there freely to each other, ganja, uh, as medicine. Uh, if uh, your water buffalo was sick and you didn't have enough ganja available to help them get through their illness, you could go to your neighbor and your neighbor very likely would give you ganja so that you could heal your water buffalo. I had that direct experience with my family. That's why I know that to be the case. That's where I learned that they give ganja freely. They don't charge for it because it's such a powerful gift that they feel that it must be given, that that is the proper way to deal with the planet. So, so I got to live in a wonderful culture that I love dearly, the people of Nepal, and learned much more from them than I ever could have imparted from the education that I had. Uh, so, so Nepal was very foundational, Coach Freddie, in bringing me to where I am today. Wow, that's very interesting. That's a great, great story. And I, now I know why you're so passionate about it. Now, I understand that you work with hemp in North Carolina. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes. Uh, I, uh, I had the opportunity to help introduce uh, uh, David Schmidt, uh, who uh, had put together a processing facility for Canaf in uh, Spring Hill, North Carolina, and um, uh, introduced him to friends of mine at Hemp Incorporated, Bruce Perlowin, and helped... Uh, bring that connection together so that that plant 
was not lost to China. When I first spoke with David about two years ago now, uh, he told me he had 10 days to save the plant and that there was a buyer coming from China who had already prepared to purchase the, the plant, the facilities, and move it to China. So I uh, flew out there literally the next day, met with David, was very impressed with, with David and his skill set and, and his passion for saving that facility, knowing how important it was going to be in helping hemp come to North Carolina. So I introduced uh, him to Hemp Incorporated, in particular Bruce Perlowin and Barry Eppling, and they, uh, they in turn uh, put together the capital necessary to go ahead and purchase that facility. Last weekend, HempX was uh, in Asheville, North Carolina, and that was basically the opportunity for a lot of people to meet with them and see the very important foundational work that they're doing for all of us in hemp. That's really a great story. Um, now tell us a little bit about hemp logistics and what products you're marketing right now. Uh, yes, um, <clears throat> hemp logistics was very recently formed. Uh, this was in response to um, a lot of inquiries that I was receiving about uh, how uh, people trying to come into the hemp space, uh, how could they participate, uh, also other needs that were very critical in helping us found or, or reinstitute hemp here in the United States. Um, I have available seed, um, and we're working right now to bring in certified seed. We, um, we have a methodology we think that will work well. I did attempt to do this a couple years ago. Um, well, actually, last year I, I did uh, buy seed in Canada, put it in my car, and tried to drive across the border with it. I did declare it, so of course they confiscated my seed and then sent me on my way. But um, out of that, uh, we've continued to work to make sure that farmers have good access to seed. Um, part of part of how I've done that is working with Colorado Hemp Project and helping in the foundation of that particular company and getting them the initial seed that they did plant, which now they've, that has moved into hundreds of acres. And this year they will produce, well, excuse me, let me restate that. They're producing 77 acres this year. And from that they'll have quite a bit more seed and, and flour and fiber and other things too. And so I've tried to be very aware of what those needs are. And hemp logistics is, is the formation of that. We also have organic fish-based fertilizer, um, which um, we've, that is a product we've just brought on, um, completing distribution agreements for that right now. But Coach Freddie, for me, it's very important that we move into a sustainable framework as opposed to a synthetic input framework, which is most of agriculture here in the United States. And that's one of the things that Hemp Logistics is working very diligently to make sure that farmers, those in the agricultural sector, not just hemp growers, but in agriculture, that they have access to better and uh, higher quality organic substances. And we do have that uh, available right now also. But mainly what I'm focusing on is seed and the input requirements for that seed. Because without that, without the growing of hemp, 
we don't have anything. So that's my main focus. Exactly. You have some great things going on there, and I really like your uh, what you're doing. Um, now, when we talked before, you had mentioned a 100-square-mile tri-state region in Colorado, Nebraska, and Kansas. Explain what you mean by that. Uh, last year, uh, the Colorado Hemp Project uh, did a two-and-a-half-acre field in Sterling, Colorado. Uh, that uh, that area is uh, what I'm speaking of when I, I speak of that radius. Uh, we feel that that is the first logical place to put a processing facility, and I've helped in some of the foundational work of permitting and other pieces to help bring that there. And uh, now we're also trying to help Pure Vision Technology get funding uh, to be able to build a processing facility there, along with all the amazing technology that Ed Lairberger has created over the 23 years that he's been working in Fort Lupton. So without that, next year we're going to run into issues. Uh, we anticipate 10,000 acres of hemp being grown in Colorado next year. And if we don't have processing facilities either nearly in place or in, you know, in process, we're going to end up with a lot of crop and no place to go to to be processed. So, so it's very important that we get a processing facility out there. And we also believe here within the front range, basically where he is located right now, just increasing the capacity of that particular facility. So that is very important. Nebraska is coming online with hemp next year, and we're hoping to help push Kansas to bring it back too. Is that sector right now is having significant issues with water and also soil that's in a pretty sad condition because of the years of corn that has been grown out there in way over production of corn. Uh, so we're trying to give that area an alternative and we feel a much better alternative, uh, hemp being that, in all the aspects that hemp will bring them. So that's very important that we get processing, from, in my understanding, in my belief, in Sterling, and in that 100-mile radius, we encompass three states. I can see that things are moving along. And in fact, last year, I uh, participated, and I went out to the hemp uh, festival that they had in sterling there yes that's where we first met yes yes it yes. was and yes. i enjoyed your music immensely. <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah we were we, we was one of the bands that played out there oh i i played with the band out there so it, it was really great and so that's where we first met you were doing something in jamaica what, yes. what are you doing there tell me about that um, I'm involved with a few different projects right now in Jamaica. One of those is helping uh, actually take Ed's technology, Ed and Carl's technology, out to Jamaica. The country is very interested in his processing technology. So we're helping with a licensing agreement for them right now. Uh, that's an in-process piece. And they have the capital available to build a plant uh, in Jamaica because they, too, already have hemp growing, of course, they have ganja uh, there as well. And um, so they understand the importance, too, that they have to have processing very quickly to be able to keep to drive uh, the, you know, the reintroduction of hemp and ganja as uh, cash crops in Jamaica. I'm also working uh, with a few growers uh, to help them uh, get 
capital to finance uh, medicinal cannabis or ganja also there as well. And, uh, and, and just in general, I uh, want to be able to help Jamaica economically have better opportunities than, than they've had in the past. Well, the, the reason I mentioned that is that um, I became an affiliate with the National Hemp Association, and uh, I'm the new Caribbean Hemp Association. I'll be uh, working out of St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, right in the middle of the Caribbean there. Yes. So I'm going to be heavily involved down there uh, in, in, in this winter. Because I, I look forward to that, Coach Freddie, of... Uh, uh, I'll be heading back, uh, looks like in November, maybe October. Uh, I don't have a confirmed date yet, but um, it just depends. Uh, right now they're going through an election in Jamaica, and working with the government's a little bit difficult, of course, when they're involved with an election. Oh, yes. But uh, that that's not really stopping them because both parties, and we do work with both of the, the parties in Jamaica, both of them are very adamant about getting this into oh. Jamaica. So we're not concerned as to who will be in control, basically, politically of the country, because both sides are very, very much in favor of, of bringing ganja back into the, the mainstay of the economy there. So we're very excited at the opportunity to work with them. And then, of course, we feel it's a jumping-off point for the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. You know, in, 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 in establishing the Caribbean as a great place for medicinal healing in general, as of all the amazing cornucopia of plants that are available there in the healing construct as well. So we're very much about helping that. Oh, yes. You know, definitely. And we'll have to keep in touch because uh, maybe I can meet you up there in uh, Jamaica. This well, I, w- I would be okay coming to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to St. Thomas, so well, well, I we, would love to. Well, we can arrange that. Okay. okay. Great. So, um, one other, th- a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about is I know they're excited. I'm excited. But, you know, what's the one thing that has you most excited about industrial hemp? Um, what I'm most excited about now is the vast opportunities for people. It, it, it's been, this is the first time really, Coach Freddie, in my life that I've had an opportunity to work with something I feel that represents all of us, that in this plant, that's what I love the most, is that, especially when I speak with young people, mm-hmm. and get the opportunity to inspire them and say, hey, there is hope, guys. Yes, there's bad things going on, agreed. But it's us that are working individually in the space that we can affect directly. And if we collectively all can do that, that is where real change does occur. And I really feel that in hemp, just ganja, and I like the term ganja because it's full encompassing of all of what this plant is. And that's the reverence, the word of reverence for for the plant, cannabis. And, um, and in ganja, no matter where you reside, Ganja can be an important part in either your nutrition, your your clothing, your building, your roads, you know, the economy just in general. We're so pervasive. The potential of being so ubiquitous in our economy is what 
that that is what excites me the most, Coach Fred. Yes, yes, I I can feel that excitement too, and that what has has brought me to the industrial hemp or hemp or ganja, as you say, um, because I get that feeling. And my coaching is all about feeling. It's all about um, sustainable living. And yes. that's why I'm here. I want to help as much as I can with my coaching with, with businesses when they get started so that they're on the right track, so that they don't get swayed by big, big business um, the way it's run. So, yeah, I can support that 100%. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And it's a mission without a doubt. Oh, yes, yes, for sure. And, um, you know, we talk about all the products and everything. Out of the thousands of products that can be produced with hemp, uh, what is the one or maybe two products that you can see kind of taking the lead up in front? Well, of course, right now, cannabidiol coming from cannabis in general has gotten a lot of good press, uh, of course, with uh, one of the main uses being how it uh, does have tremendous effect in reducing uh, epileptic seizure. Uh, and, but that's just one of the pieces. And um, But I love that people are waking up to that and understanding that this isn't us trying to get stoned or something in that regard, that there is great, great value in this plant. I love that that is happening right now through the understandings of cannabidiol. But there's, you know, 100, what, 120 compounds uh, available. And we're just in the forefront of beginning to understand those. So there's a lot of knowledge that's going to come from that over the next decades for the medicinal space. And then the other piece is that the fabric. Most people are probably not aware that hemp fabric is a bactericide. So by wearing hemp, it helps protect you. It protects you from the insult of bacteria and viruses, and it, it helps you wick away sweat. Uh, I mean, it's just an amazing fiber in that. And I'm hoping that that knowledge, too, will get out to more people that the fabrics we wear are making us sick, and that's a shame. And most people are unaware of that. And I would love that that be a part of, you know, the general understanding of what we're doing is really healing. By growing it, we heal our earth. By wearing it, we heal ourselves. And by eating it, we again, we heal ourselves. And um, so that to me is extremely important. Yes, and I think you answered the, the question I was going to ask you, how do you see hemp changing our culture? And I think just by what you just said, answers that question. It's like, wow. Well, I uh, get the opportunity to live in Nepal where it's so endemic within the culture. I mean, they, you know, 1972, the Controlled Substance Act and the UN following suit um, made it illegal even in Nepal. But they were completely unaware of that. They had no idea. I used to joke with my local sheriff um, you know, about, because uh, ganja is a normal thing there. Um, we would shoot carom uh, in the evenings and, and, and consume a little ganja. And I would joke with him. I said, well, you probably should arrest me. <laughs> and he would go, why? And I go, because we're breaking the law. <laughs> and he would look at me like, we are? And here's the local sheriff, completely unaware that his country had changed the law because we had forced them 
that Nixon's ignorance had forced a nation that revered a plant so much to change their law or they would lose foreign aid. And that was it. That's how we bully countries. And um, so I enjoyed joking about it, but it was very serious in terms of how an incredible negative effect had been created through the Controlled Substance Act and how it impacted other cultures. And, and I'm very opposed to that in creating laws that subvert culture. And because culture, when it embraces something as, as important as ganja, and then you believe that it's a bad thing and you force them to change, um, really, what's your, what's your purpose, you know? And so when I lived with them, I, I would enjoy joking about it, but in my heart, I really felt that my own nation had really subverted a beautiful piece of their culture unfairly to them. Now, of course, locally, they didn't recognize that because they just were completely unaware of it. But that's something I look forward to when we come back to where we were a 100 years ago and how hemp was a standard part of the economic environment of agriculture that it was part of the medicinal space. When you read a compendium of medicinal plants, hemp was one of the top ones. And uh, that was removed. And we need to restore that. And we are. So, Tom, you know, I want to really thank you for being a guest on the iHemp Revolution. How can people find you? What is your website? HempLogistics.com. My phone number, if they want to contact me directly, is 720 720- Four eight five two six one four, and then I'm on Facebook as Tom McLean. That's my hemp activist page, and my email is t t t m c c l a i n at yahoo.com. And thank you again, Tom. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today, and make sure that you subscribe to the I Hemp Revolution podcast on iTunes. And give us a review. Like us on Facebook. And we have a Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Revolution. Tell your friends about us and help us spread the word on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and the other social media about all the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do the things that inspire them. And thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.